0: I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. 29,086 measures of barley delivered over 37 months. Cusham. Over 5,000 years ago, this receipt of a business transaction records something else that is much less mundane the first name we know of historically. We don't know if Cusham was a person or an organization. If it was a person, we don't know if it was their name or their title or position. All we know is that Cushum was in charge of the distribution of barley. And as boring as this may seem, the record forever changes how we perceive Homo sapiens within the context of history. Today, we're talking about names. Nice start. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, (laughs) again, this is one of those things where it's just kind of the way my brain works. And I think the way that everybody's does it at, at some points, you know. I'm on a long road trip home from vacation and I'm just all of a sudden the thought occurs to me, I wonder what the first name is in history, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, that's a you have to place it within the context of history because undoubtedly there was names before that. As a matter of fact, names might, you know, might be the first words that were conceived of, really. Mm-hmm. But, in the historical record, from what we have left that we can examine um, And the
1: historical record that's, that any of us have access to, or the specialists have access to it, and the historical records of one society is not necessarily the historical records of another, and you might not have access and today after tomorrow, somebody's going to exhume some piece of archaeological evidence that oh. Humans were 10,000 years even further back than we thought, and then there'll be another name, and, and, and. Yeah, <laughs> and
0: that's the thing is it's very complicated, right? Because it, it depends on what you look at as authoritative text too, right? If you're a religious person, you might say, well, no, the first name was was Adam for a person anyways. There's even things older than that that had names, right? Um, but if you're looking at more um, you know, things that are established with historical artifacts, yes. yeah, we have Cushum. Um, but we may not even be able to interpret some names that went back earlier, right. you know by looking at the writing. Or you know you might look at a cave painting and, and maybe something as simple as a handprint with a mark and it could be a name, but we don't name. we don't recognize it. oral cultures which uh, certainly have uh, the names are
1: terribly important, but they're oral. And they're not always shared with outsiders. And and even when they have been, outsiders have generally messed it up phonetically.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because a lot of those, and those oral traditions can be passed down with um, some relative fidelity. Yes. Um, so, yeah, the whole thing is real interesting. I can't wait to, to dive into it. So, let's start with, you know, the big question, what is a name, <laughs> which
1: brings to mind Shakespeare, doesn't it? Yeah. From Romeo and Juliet, "What's in a name? Mm. A rose by any other name would smell as mm. sweet." <laughs> so, is a name a set of 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 reference? Is it? Uh, if, if, there are all kinds of things we can go into. Uh, the The noun phrase when you put uh, two nouns together or one noun with a with an adjective. Uh, or, or a descriptor or uh, an, an, an article like The – and I, I don't know if you uh, – a marvelous article in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy that I would direct any listener to go to. This, this is a marvelous online – we've mentioned it before – free resource. You can spend a lifetime reading the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy online or the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy. And so it, it's always been, well, since the Internet, a good, a good a reference point for me. But, but, you know, we, we have determiners, proper, proper nouns. Proper nouns are nouns that we capitalize, uh, because they are names. And so, but sometimes you have names that are just made of not proper nouns. And, and one that often gets brought up is something like the Golden Gate Bridge. And, of course, that's capitalized. But golden is just an adjective. It's not referring to any you know, a, a gate. <laughs> that's just an ordinary noun. Bridge, it's an ordinary noun. The is the, the, the uh, descriptor. but And you put it together, and it's taken to represent a very specific thing right? But, and and it may be, maybe there's not more than one Golden Gate Bridge. However, if we can move to something else like street names, and you you drive around in, in where we live in Western New York, as just one example, but, or you drive further, almost every town that I've ever been in has a prospect street. It, (laughs) It has an Elm Street, if it's in a certain geographical region. And so, then you take a movie, Nightmare on Elm Street, and oh, are we supposed to know which is it, our Elm Street? No, it's obviously an Elm Street that's in the movie. How do we know this? Uh, is a town given, and and what does Elm Street mean? Are there actually elms on it? Think of nursing homes, golden or retirement homes, well, rolling acres or or meadow view, and they're situated in a village that has nothing but Walmart in the background. And, and but what meadow? And so it's meadow view, but it's to to elicit or evoke a feeling that doesn't actually have anything to do
0: with the place. Yeah, and it it can be inaccurate even, like the Golden Gate Bridge, right? You could have a bridge that has a literal golden gate and call it the Golden Gate Bridge, and that would be an accurate description of what it is, whereas the Golden Gate Bridge, just that combination of words meant to represent something and not be a literal descriptor. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of complexity there. Yeah, like you said, the the, the Stanford Encyclopedia um, has a lot of good examples, um, and especially of how some of these things interact, like like the word bachelor is the one they use where they say, yeah. um, you know, a bachelor is meant to be a man who's not married. Um, but even if it turned out that every single man that was a bachelor was secretly married, we wouldn't say that the word bachelor is wrong. We'd say that none of those men were bachelors. So yes. that specific word has a, a defining description that that can't be violated. It has something, a, a condition that has to be met in order for it to um, be accurate. Whereas there's other names that that don't work that way.
1: Exactly. So it, it comes if you if you. I don't mean it this in a, a pejorative way, but if you come to perhaps the, the baseline on all of this, rather than uh, lots and lots of philosophical necessary jargon if you're going to a deep study, but uh, it's about how what do, we, uh, what do we think that a name means and how do we really figure that out because it probably doesn't necessarily, and its extension or its range, what it encompasses, what its limitations are. And people listening might say, what is it with you guys? It's just (laughs) that, you know, it's, it's, let's go to the bridge. Okay. A bridge. We all know what a bridge is, right? What's a bridge? All right. We define bridge. A bridge is a construct that lets us walk over water, right? Except there are also bridges over gorges, uh, valleys that have no water. Uh, And we say the bridge. Which bridge are we talking about? Well, let's see. Maybe we're walking through the woods and there's a bridge 10 feet away. We said, let's go to the bridge. But we could say, (laughs) in a designational way, let's go to that bridge. That and the are two different words. The Mm -hmm. implies there's one. That implies, oh, the one that's nearest us. There's so many levels of of of, of philosophical ling- linguistics
0: going on here, semiology, semantics, and uh, th- th- it's just joyful. It's fun. Yeah, no, it really <laughs> is. We, uh, like I said, I just got back from vacation. I can't remember if we were in Virginia. I think it was Virginia. It might have been Tennessee, but I'm pretty sure it's Virginia. Where uh, my wife and I are walking around, and we see this skyscraper, and on the skyscraper it says Bank of the James. And, like, we both had a hearty laugh about that on on a couple different occasions because the word the is what makes that funny, right? If you said Bank of James, oh, okay, well – must be James's bank, but bank of the James, like mm-hmm. is the James, like is, I know more than one James.
1: Right? So this, this seems like right. it doesn't work. And is it, and I, and I'm sitting there the first thing that's coming to my mind
0: is, Oh, is it a river bank next to the James river? Hmm. The bank of, of, yeah. And that's where like, <laughs> that's where language gets really interesting. And it's, it's something that, you know, people don't think about too often, but you know, right. bridge. Okay. a, a you know, a construct over water. Well, it can be over land. Well, it can be a card game. Well, it can be something in your mouth. You know, like right. there's. <laughs> so it's the contextual stuff, mm-hmm. and we,
1: and and why I assert that this is is fun and 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 can be light, but also extremely, extremely important. At the same time, is that when we are willing to say maybe we're not as accurate as we think. Maybe it's a way of being more accurate. And we're in the philosophy of language, and and we're able to back away and not be so absolutely certain. You know, we 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 can we can leap right into the political for a moment, and 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 I and I won't go into specifics. We just take the word Republican, take the word Democrat, take the word Libertarian, take the word Independent. And and I I I dare you I challenge anyone to just take that word and pretend like you think you know everything that it means. Yeah, because if you do, you're lying to yourself.
0: You do not know that. Yeah, no, and um, you know, obviously, recently politics has, has played that out. Um, you know, with, with Donald Trump, there was there was a lot of um, there's a schism in the Republican Party, essentially, where two different groups of people are calling themselves Republicans and believing different things. Same thing is happening currently um, with uh, President Biden's budgetary um, mm-hmm. sort of deal. So you've got two groups of people calling themselves Democrats and they're, they totally disagree on um, in a, in a, a huge way mm-hmm. what sort of policy should be implemented. Yeah, um, So so it's a, it's a matter of if you're, if you're willing to label yourself,
1: and 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 you are unable to offer a rather detailed attempt a at definition of what that that means then you are making yourself party to all kinds of things where as a human being you might not actually choose to be a party mm-hmm. and I say that with all due humility before the show you and I were talking about how sometimes we can have explosive moments when we, we're working on a project at a house and just and, and and temper overcomes any sense of of balance. But when but when any one person, uh, when any one of us as a human being attaches ourselves to uh, a label, a word and and makes some kind of tacit assertion that uh, or assumption that that word defines the entirety of who we are. We have ceded our humanity to a categorical, indexical limitation that uh, makes it virtually impossible to have
0: conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and that's – I think that's the thing is, you know, it's like we were talking about those two different types of words earlier, right? Mm -hmm. The word bachelor has qualifications that have to be met. in order to be it. Whereas the other example they use in in the article was Merlot, right? Okay. Well, they know somebody named Merlot, but Merlot is also the name of a type of wine here, you know? So um, there's no conditions that are being met there. Um, A Merlot can be several different things. And honestly, a bachelor can be several different things as well. But, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for the purpose of what they were saying, in order to be a bachelor, you have to meet conditions. Well, so yeah, I don't have, I don't have problems Um, labeling myself some things, like a husband, right? Because I'm married. So I don't have a problem saying that. But then there's other things where um, I have a lot of hesitation about it. And even some things like, um, so with music, right? If I'm talking to a lay person and they ask me about my music, I'll generally just say, yeah, I do it all myself. Because that's an accurate thing to say. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I'm trying to get a gig doing something, I'll say, I'm a multi-instrumentalist singer-songwriter who has um, produced and engineered and mixed and mastered several albums that have appeared on marketplaces like iTunes and Google Play and Spotify. Because that establishes a range of things that I can do in that might be of service. Mm-hmm. But if it comes down to saying, well, do you consider yourself an audio mastering engineer? I'd say, no, I don't consider myself that, right? Because... That's something that can really um, cross a range of things, right? Somebody could sit down who's never done anything before and adjust a couple of faders and say that they've mastered a song. But that's completely different than somebody who spends hundreds of thousands of dollars on equipment to tune a room and spends hours and has years of training and experience and is put a lot of work into creating a professional product. So question, question, what, what
1: is the word that really is in some kind of debate in audio mastering engineer? What word could you lift out of that and then have it be a broader? Because I would lift mastering out of it.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Audio mastering is a process. Audio engineering engineering. Yeah, it would, it would probably if out of those three words, it probably would be mastering. So mastering is the final process in an audio chain that um, essentially polishes the sound and makes it um, listenable on several different types of speakers. Um, because you can you can have something that sounds really good on studio speakers and it sounds terrible on earbuds or in your car or over stadium speakers. What a, a mastering engineer's job is to make it sound good on all those different things, which is an extremely difficult task. Making something sound good on earbuds and on stadium speakers in both places off of the same audio file is a is a it's a gift, really, right? <laughs> so I don't call my i I will do audio mastering, right? I can master tracks for people, but I wouldn't call myself a mastering engineer because when I look at the whole spectrum of what that behavior entails, I don't feel comfortable giving myself that title so is it that
1: okay so it's first the, the notion of a proper noun capital a audio hyphen mastering capital e engineer
0: mm-hmm. you wouldn't put that on your resume no but you've done audio engineer yes I've done audio mastering so and the reason that that's more simple is because then I can just point people to things that I've done right I can say mm-hmm. all right well listen to this and if this kind of quality is, something that you're willing to pay for, this is something that I can produce. But audio mastering is such a wide range. And it comes, that's the same thing when we're talking about political um, ideals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just received a letter um, from the libertarian party, fellow libertarian. <laughs> and I, I had to think about that one for a while because some of them are easy to to dispute, right? Am I a Republican? No. Am I a Democrat? No. Libertarian, libertarian encompasses such a wide range of behaviors because the description of it is so vague, mm-hmm. right? Somebody who believes in liberty, pretty much. Hey, you're allowed to do your own thing as long as it doesn't in, impact me doing my own thing. Think, well, am I really all right with that philosophy? And, and what sort of things does that project out? You know, what? How does that affect an individual? How does it affect a society? How does yes. it affect? the proper running yes. of a government yes. you have to think about all of those things and so in some cases a simple descriptor like audio mastering engineer or libertarian it's much harder to associate yourself with those titles than with something that has several paragraphs of description labeling what it is you know so the context and and the and the
1: reference and relational Yes yeah, that, that that's that's terrific what you just went through that's the process of of this kind of philosophical uh, discussion i I've, I've been in so many conversations with people over the years formal in the classroom and informal where eventually the word semantics comes up and semantic what
0: when you hear semantics what do you say what what do you, what do you think it is i think most people Think of semantics as being trivial, right? Like, oh, well, mm-hmm. we, we all know what we're talking about, but mm-hmm. we're making things unnecessarily complex because we're fighting over semantics. And semantics is the, is the study of meaning
1: through the subtle shades of difference in diction, diction being word choice. And so there's a relativistic write-off. Yeah, it's just semantics. Well, that's just like saying, "Oh, it's just life," or it's just stuff that happens. Well, okay, and where does that get us? It uh, it gets us <laughs> nowhere. So, so um, one of the examples you you, you can find there's some, it's we're replete. Life is replete with examples of these things. But but uh, suppose you're traveling on a train and and you' and you use the uh, somebody asks you where you're going and you say well i'm 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 going to my final destination," or you say, "I'm going to the last stop <laughs> and there are people who might just say, "Well, those are equivalent. I would suggest that <laughs> 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 Final destination indicates a terminal level of things, right. that, and, and then and then just look at words. So, so terminal. Where do we go when we go to a on a flight or a, on a bus or on a train? We're going to the terminal. Oh, yeah. that's where things end. <laughs> Wait yeah. a minute, but I'm going to a place where things end to start something.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, and I think everybody's uh, you know a good pop culture example. A lot of people have seen this. There's a T-shirt that says "Let's eat grandma," and then "Let's eat apostrophe or you know comma grandma." Now we're into syntax. Yeah. So (laughs) anybody who says that a comma you know isn't important, right? You know. So yeah, you know we sometimes people like to gloss over little things in order to get to the to the meat of things. But what Mm -hmm. you don't realize is that those surface level things are, are just as important, right? So it'd be like, well, I don't, you know, I don't need skin. I just need muscles and bones to get around. It's like, well, no, you know, that surface level stuff does a lot of important things. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so semantics I, I find terribly important.
1: Uh, just, just as when doing art, uh, you know, I've I've watched my daughter-in-law do amazing things. I've been in workshops where she's led me through my, my teacher in Florida. She, she, she Amazing teaching. But just to, what am I going to do? Uh, what do I choose? Do I choose? Um, I want to use a purple. Well, do I want purple? Do I want lavender? Do I want to look at the values? And maybe there are three different values uh, that, that are going on here. And and those are subtle shades. And, and so there's semantics. There's morphology, which is the study of the the basic units of meaning, like uh, a prefix or a suffix or a root word, where we can't reduce it any further, seemingly, uh, f- unless you break it down into phonemes, which are elements of sound, and and and, and then we have the syntax, which is how do we place words for the the most uh, intended meaning in any language, and punctuation is part of syntax. And, yeah. And order is
0: part of syntax. All of these are working in a braided way when we talk about names. Yeah. And, and lots of times we don't we don't even realize it because it's so so much a part of how we just think and conceive of things. We were on our long road trip for our vacation. Um, we were asking each other trivia questions. So Amanda was looking up trivia questions asking me. One of the ones she asked me was um, what C-Y-N-A phobia means. So I thought, i I'm like, so that's blue. Like, afraid of the color blue, afraid of the ocean, the sky. Turns out it's the fear of dogs, right? And so it's that prefix, right? Like, I I see that the C, you know, i I'm like, oh, well, blue, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. Because you just get used to that cyan, you know, sort of thing. But, um... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we've gotten... <laughs> we've gotten through our first question. <laughs> 23 minutes in. So, and we've talked a little bit about what types of names there are. Um, How do names differ across cultures or languages? Oh, my. Well,
1: I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on this, but just through. uh, Let's go with the, the a posteriori, the experiential. Let's let's go with, I have had friends and acquaintances and colleagues across cultures. Not every culture on the planet. I wouldn't say that at all. And students. Uh, and in some cultures, the practice is the reverse order of a given name, surname. So, it's surname, then given name. Some cultures have hyphenated or multiply hyphenated names, and I'm not just and I'm making this ultra simplistic in the mélange of cultures, which is the United States. No matter how divisive we seem to be, there are all of these things that are used because people from every culture on the planet have come to to be a part of the, this culture too, and so you have names with apostrophes. Uh, names with uh, their uh, their uh, the k- um uh, I can't I can never do it k- um. um forgive me if you are of this culture I'm trying to uh, the, gl- the glottal work uh, with the voice so it's essentially a click their cultures are beautiful and um, um, complex sounds that it's difficult for an English speaker to make without training mm-hmm. and so the names. And the reason for names, I, I would assert is probably universal. Some in any culture. I, I'm going to extend this. Sometimes a name is given because there's been a list of names on a refrigerator. The baby is coming. And so we're just going to close our eyes, point to one and say that name. Or there's a lot of thought going into this name is representative of. Uh, a grandparent or a forebear of some kind, or this name is is honoring uh, someone who influenced me as father or mother, and a or or two mothers or two fathers in a in a family situation. There are all kinds of reasons for a name to be the given name, but even the surname. Uh, you know, the a Waterman. Let's just take a well, r- randomly. Suppose your name is Waterman. What does that come from? Does it? Were your forebears part of working on the water? Is it somehow associated with the work that one of them did? Do you associate yourself with that, or is that? That's just my name. Hmm. You know, and and so there are all these potential resonances that some people dig into with their own families and go back and and. And refresh and deepen who they think they are.
0: Yeah, it's real interesting in different cultures, and like like you said, I'm not an expert on any of it, but I know a couple of different, you know, a couple of little things. But yeah, it really depends on. A lot of it's based around family, mm-hmm. and you know, in the United States, it's basically just we just do one generation, right? Like, okay, you you take your father's last name, right? But there's other countries where you take your mother's list. Yeah, or in in Russian, they'll sort of marry the father's and the mother's names and then they'll keep them for generations going back. Mm-hmm. So really, you know, they'll use a, you know, a a proper name and a surname, but that's really just an abbreviation because they could go back eight generations listing, you know, Petrovich, Ilyich, you know, you know all the way through, yes. Yes. you know, and with um Koreans, they'll use that as part of the proper name, right? They'll use the 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 family name hyphenated with a given name at the beginning, right. yeah. You know, and like the African names, the ng, you know that that and, ng. And, and in some in some countries in Africa, yes, absolutely. It, it
1: is so so it's so it's so complicated, and yet those elements that you mentioned before, I think that's I think that's what's most viable to the conversation we're having now is. Really, I think what it, the most interesting part for me is: is what do you do with your own name, hmm. and and what do people try to do with you, with your own name? And what I think it would be coy to say. That one has never had experience with this, because I think almost all of us have in some way. I can how how many times in, in teaching did I encounter people who, because an elder brother or an elder sister was such and such a seemingly cluster of characteristics, that the expectation was automatically that the younger member of the family was going to be the same way. Why? Well, because they're from that family. And if you look at that assumption and say, you can't be any different than anybody else in your family, then you're asserting that the entire family is exactly as this homogeneous group. And that's utter nonsense. Why would we assume that?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at it, you really only, you you only share 50% of your DNA with your surname in the United States, right? (laughs) So by the time you get a couple generations in, you're really less... That surname than you are many other different things. Yeah, um, yeah. It's funny. I was I'm working with a music marketing company, and that's they have um, a session where they it's called artist identity, where they try to hash out um, what sort of things you as as an artist are about. And that was the first question on the list. Was hmm. do you like your name? Hmm. It's the very first question.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: And so it's funny because. Again, those little things that come into it right like I I I always liked my last name because I didn't know anybody else with uh-huh. my last yep, name yep, yep. so I I've known a bunch of bouchers but no Bouchards right <laughs> and so one day I looked up the the what the two names mean right so it turns out Boucher means somebody with a big mouth. Bouchard means strong fortress right <laughs> so there's actually a big difference between them despite the fact that they sound very similar right mm-hmm. um you know first name that's one where i have gone back and forth with it right because i always kind of liked it because again it's a pretty rare name i I've, I've only met you know i could count on one hand the number of joels that i've met in my lifetime but at the same time like i remember being a little kid and um you know kids making fun of me of it by by putting joel into the christmas carol noel right? <laughs> <laughs> so if kids want to make fun of me that's what they do and so obviously as you're as a kid that's something that makes you real mad as an adult you're like well i don't even know why this is not insulting right. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's one of those things where when i was younger i was like oh no i wish i had a different name i know what name i always wanted when i was younger hmm. miles. miles weird right Interesting. <laughs> and so yeah it's funny being a kid and you, you have names for your imaginary friends and you have you like naming things as a kid, you know, and that's really in the forefront of your mind. But then, as an adult, you know, I'm like, oh, I like my name; it's cool. You know, the two of them together, yeah, I really, I, I do like it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, it, it But all those things you've that you've just walked through, just
1: in your own process, and 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 across your development. We we. <laughs> It it brings back to me something that I always try to assert with with students or friends or indeed even myself sometimes. Uh, It gives the lie to something that uh, grandparents or parents said with all good intent, but just isn't true. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but names can never hurt me utter baloney, yeah. utter old bathwater, throw it out. Of, are you kidding me? You you want to sub- say somebody a name can't hurt you? Well, of course it can. It doesn't mean it has to debilitate you, but it means you have an obstacle to walk through because somebody else has chosen to apply that name, which may not be your name at all, which may be this twisted grotesquery of your name. Or nicknames, uh, the, the more formal and for that is sobriquet, a sobriquet, your nickname. What 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 is the nickname? Why do we give nicknames? We have a given name, we have a surname, we have a middle name. Sometimes we have four or five names. <laughs> do we really need a nickname? What's that for? Well, that's just to shorten it. Well, if we wanted to shorten, why did we give it in the first place? There's this whole process that goes on. Oh well, if I tell you my nickname, then then you're closer in my circle. Yeah, but what if I give you a nickname? Cause I'm just trying to bother you all day long. And so that's the nickname that I give you. Then I'm being cruel. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but do you, uh, but if people start to associate the reference of that nickname to you, then there's a cluster of things, uh, like a cloud that is, that is dangling over you that you never asked for. And you can push it aside in your own mind. And that's great. But somebody else at a class reunion 20 years from now might still say that. And you know that inside, as much as you say, why is that even <laughs> somewhere in there? There's still some emotional resonance from back
0: then. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those things kind of say something about you. Right. So I remember, you know, as we just talked about, I like, I like my names cause they're kind of unique. Right. Mm-hmm. Joel Bouchard. Neither one of those is real common. Yeah. And I remember, um, working with a, a lady one time and she said joel she said can i call you joe and i said no <laughs> joe's short for joseph and i you know that's not hmm. my name i don't really like it she's like well can i call you joseph and i said yeah sure <laughs> but, <laughs> right. and, and the question of course that's implied is why right why can't I mean, why can't yeah, right. can, it's can not I? shorter right it's not right. shorter but i think it was just you know we, we were friends and so mm-hmm. she wanted some sort of name that um, Establish some sort of group affinity, right? We're friends, so like here, we're gonna have a nickname, right? A group affinity, but also a
1: kind of ownership, mm-hmm. uh, a kind of uh, yeah, an in, in, in group. I'm in the club, right? I have a the the idea. This is you know, I I do not take we've established this often, and it's not bashing. I just I take the Bible literally. I can't. It doesn't no. All right, so Adam gave everything names, they didn't have it before. Those names are the names of everything on the planet? No, I don't think so. But but and <laughs> because we we're making up names all the time, aren't we? It's an ongoing thing. And we want to make up names. We coin phrases. Poetry makes we make new words. We use words differently than they were intended and turn them into nouns that weren't nouns. And we nickname, may I call you, or can I call you, or I'm going to call you.
0: Semantically, those are three
1: different things. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and my poor pets have no say in the matter. I think each one of them has dozens of nicknames. It just depends on what kind of mood I'm in, what I want to call them. But some people feel differently, right? Um, I remember I had a friend in the Army. um, his name is Maxim Zarek because he, hmm. he was was um, an immigrant from Belarus. That's a marvelous name. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. is Maxim Zarek, who's an immigrant from Belarus, um, but he wanted to change his name um, to I, – and I can't remember what it was, but it was something along the lines of John Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I said, why? Your name is so cool. And he's like, well, I just want to fit in, right? Uh, he had spent mm-hmm. years trying to get rid of his accent. Um you know, and he wanted to change. He wanted to be American, is the thing. And so, you know, you, as as an outsider, you can't say that there's something um, good or bad. You can't judge him for that, right? Because no. he had had a bad experience in Belarus, okay. where um, when he was when he was in kindergarten, um, the government came in and started performing all kinds of tests on the kids, and um, essentially told him, "You're going to be an Olympic swimmer." They took measurements of his chest. They did all these things. They said, you're going to be an Olympic swimmer at the age of five, right? And so they set out a whole curriculum for him throughout his life to, to get him onto this path. He did not do well. So his mother ended up fleeing the country with him and his sister. Um, so he didn't want to have any vestiges of Belarus hanging around in America. And his name, despite how cool the rest of us thought it was, was a reminder of those experiences he had had. Before that's that's a, a wrenching and marvelous example,
1: and, and I just want to say, never, probably ever, will having going to meet Maxim, but it it is a it has a gloriously powerful, strong name because it is unusual. But I get to say that as a privileged person who didn't have to go through the horror that you just described with. So. Yes, so you have a right to change your name. And people can change their names without even going through a legal process. But if you're going to, you know, there are two levels to that even. Uh, A person so, 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 so immediately dear to me and, and close. Has, has gone through that process. Has elected to go through that process. Has embraced because that is closer to the person that they are. And I'm in awe and 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 love and and respect for doing that because there's a there's another layer of this. It's kind of like what Maxim is. You you describe that as one one layer. There's another layer, which is um, go, uh, being gender fluid or, uh, and, and thus finding that one name doesn't apply to who you are and nobody else gets to tell you who you are. And for all that we claim about liberty and libertarian and freedom, the very notion that Max, for example, wanted to fit in. And and would assume a name like whatever it was, but John, Joe John, John Johnson, right? Because that that's fitting into America. It gives the What's the impression of America? You've got to be like the rest of us or you can't be here. And yet we celebrate diversity. We do not. Not yet. We, we, we celebrate. We embrace all things. Not yet. People are at risk of their lives because they say that they, this is who I am. No, you're not. And I'll tell you why. Because... We're the dominant culture, and we'll tell you what you will be. We still do this, and so we do this with names, we do it with proper nouns, we do it with lowercase nouns what's in a name everything <laughs>
0: yeah so yeah let's um let's, sorry, shift I just into, got to... <laughs> let's shift into the formative now um again we're we're getting late, but mm-hmm. sorry. Mm-hmm. We might well we might just have one discussion, then I might split it into two episodes because it sounds like we're going to go real long okay, in this. But, all right. um, so do you think names were the first words invented in language?
1: At a guess, <laughs> just one person guessing, I would say yes. With with possibly the exception of an exclamatory word like wow however it's interpreted and whatever whatever the first i i think names first or maybe second because i think you open your eyes and you look at the world around you whether it's frightening sublime beautiful or whatever and wow pretty much accompanies inside like, wow <laughs> so i'll put that aside but I, I
0: think yeah but other than that yes yeah it, it's and again this is just it's just hypothetical stuff but that's why it's kind of fun you know it makes you wonder if the first word was something akin to um, danger, right? Danger, you know, which is a noun. Yeah, it just makes you wonder what. Well, what were the what were the first words that that would have been spoken, and and how did people come up for a consensus on what something was to mean? You know. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> that, you, it's a, you know, put all the caveman cartoons out of your head for a minute. <laughs> I had to say that because I know people people with Fred Flintstone things sitting around a fire going, oh, grunt, 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 flower. No, <laughs> maybe over a thousand years. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating, Joel. I, 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 if you just settle into thinking about that and put you, and, and this is part of, um, I think uh, the idea of acting, I will not claim to be an, an actor. I've engaged in, in theater, but I'm not a trained actor, just like you're not an audio engineer. And I think it's important to make that distinction. My second born is an actor. Uh, but if if one settles into the idea of the scene, whatever it is, and and you're sitting by a campfire, or maybe you've you've escaped from a tiger, or maybe it's not even that dramatic. You've just you've you've been planting enough food in order to eat. But you you call in that something. You're not just saying this, sticking it in the ground. Somewhere in that simplistic seeming process, there had to be names. First, you show maybe you show somebody else, and, and and you say it's good. Okay, good is an adjective. Healthy is an adjective. Um, necessary is an adjective. So I'm I, maybe adjectives come first.
0: Yeah, because that's the that's the the interesting thing is looking at etymology, right, and tracing back the meanings of words mm-hmm. throughout time. Mm-hmm. You'll see lots of times. First off, they. They go across many different languages, right? So if you have an English word, it comes from an old German or an old English word, which comes from a high German word, which comes from a Latin word, which comes from a Sanskrit word, meaning this. And sometimes it's completely unrelated to what that word means today, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting how how those sort of things come about. Um, yeah, I think editors. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can you elaborate on the power of names in in ancient contexts, like relig- maybe even religious contexts? Well, uh, uh, yes, um, roughly. Uh,
1: there was a science fiction story uh, that Arthur C. Clarke wrote that was very formative for me uh, as a young person when I was really getting into science fiction. It's deep stuff, but the story was called The Nine Billion, Nine Billion Names of God. And the, the uh, crux of the story was that a group of religious people, uh, the monkish folk had, as I recall, it's been a long time since I heard the story, had created this rather naturalistic, seemingly simplistic machine that was kind of a computer. Um, and they set it to take, finding all the names of God And because presumably by the time that you had found every single name of God, then utopia or uh, the end of time would come. And so, yeah, I think the name for whatever it is that one is fearful of, in awe of, or finds asserts that must have more control over you than you do, uh, is
0: is looking for the name of God. Hmm.
1: Is that that starting?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's kind of interesting, like um, Judaism, right? Um, Or gods. Yeah, there was a long period of time where people wouldn't actually speak the name of God, right? Because it was such a powerful thing. And I I kind of went down a rabbit hole this past week of like um, uh, occult things, right? Mm -hmm. Like looking Mm up, you know, researching all these ancient things. And it's all fascinating stuff because a lot of it, Revolves around that kind of mysticism, right? This mm-hmm. sort of thing. Oh, there's there's this hidden knowledge. There's this, this, there's these secret words, and yes. like you yes. you don't want to repeat these words unless you're in a specific context because you can raise all kinds of powerful spirits or something, mm-hmm. right? So that that was. That's kind of funny to me. Is I, Do you think that exists in modern times? Or do you think that was something that was just ancient, this, oh. this sort of power that's placed on words like that? Oh, I, I absolutely think that occurs in modern times poetry. Uh, I, just as one thing,
1: I think that there are many people for whom the name well-chosen and spoken with, with, with reverence and deference does cause an interior effect. I can't speak to whether God or gods exist in any – we've gone through this in any provable, measurable, empirical sense. So, we'll just put that aside. That's something between oneself and one's God. (laughs) Um, But I do think there is a reverence. When one has a reverence for words – Uh, 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 whether one is capital P poet or or accessing and indulging and developing one's inner sense of lowercase p poet. Poets are people who choose words and rhythms, cadences, uh, unusual, and there's an allowance in poetry seemingly from the outer world. Oh, well, they might not say things as clearly as other people, and they're just hiding a message in there somewhere. And. (laughs) It's not simplistic like that, but but I think that's what a lot of people think. Well, they they made that difficult on purpose. Well, possibly, so you will think about and, and have an, an an experience that isn't ordinary. When language becomes not ordinary, it becomes memorable, or mm-hmm. um, it causes one to stop and ponder, or be perplexed,
0: and that is power. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where a lot of the emotion of language comes from. Like, if you have the engagement, that's when people are going to tend to have some sort of emotional connection with what's being said. Like you said, you could, you could take the message of a poem and just write it out in plain English, but that's not going to have the same visceral effect on somebody as the poetry if they're willing to engage with the poem if they're not then it's not going to have any effect period but that's a personal choice with them you know See, and and so you when you said a cult i just had to quickly uh, i wanted a good
1: definition right supernatural mystical or magical beliefs practices or phenomena relating to the supernatural the mystical or the magical religion is a cult not a cult occult <laughs> it, it, in the sense that it is an evocation of or recognition of or seeking out or toward the supernatural and the mystical. Uh, and, and so now we go back to the naming. Mysticism is a noun. Now we apply a second noun with a proper noun, the second noun being a proper noun, Buddhist mysticism. <laughs> Catholic mysticism, Christian mysticism, Islamic mysticism, and, and, and,
0: and. Now we've made a noun phrase. (laughs) That's why it's so easy to get sucked down a a Wikipedia rabbit hole of this. is Because, you know, you you find this and then it has a whole list. And then you look at all the different subclasses. But that was one of the interesting things that I stumbled upon. Mm -hmm. Was they said that, um, you know, really, especially Catholicism is a cult. Like when you talk about – uh, exorcism or um, transubstantiation or some of these things where there's it, – it is essentially a magical use of words in order it to have some sort of supernatural effect. A right? poetic, metaphoric, or for some people quite literal,
1: transubstantiation. This is the wine that has become the blood. This is my blood. This is my body. Now – all kinds
0: of christian yeah if you separate fact, out the, if you separate out the christian context and just say i'm turning wine into blood that you're going to drink and i'm turning bread into flesh that you're going to and eat you're taking that sounds me pretty into sounds you yeah yes it and and,
1: and and in fact it is which which uh, uh, but the the word occult uh, applied without intention or or with open-minded intention is used as a as a pejorative, as a as a negative, connotatively grim, awful. Let's stay away from that, because we think we know what we mean by the by the occult, but just that one word, it's more expansive, and the extension of it is broader
0: than one might think. Yeah, and it, it creates a whole um, sort of interesting look at, at the name itself the occult so again we have the we have the, the you know yeah, the that, one thing that is occult and like you said the definition of the word versus the meaning that people give the word is uh, two different things apparently right mm-hmm. because like you said I think when people think of the occult they think of um, Satan worship or these sorts of things that are it it's almost synonymous with being evil right? But then when you read the description of the word and then you start applying that in a literal sense to um, practices or rituals or things that people engage in, all of a sudden it really becomes more expansive than the narrow definition that's given to it Yes, you know, yeah. off the cuff. And,
1: and so now you've just engaged in a kind of semiology, which is the study of signs – And the meaning that are, uh, is attached to them. I'm thinking of it this summer. I have some gardening and landscaping done. A very small, you know, spot and, and some very nice young men, as it turns out, who had, had, were doing the work. Well, they presented as men. I don't know if they were or not. So there's another thing. But it, but they were uh, – and I I couldn't – I was doing some writing on my computer. had the window open and I could hear them working outside. And they were talking about all kinds of random things. And I wasn't trying to listen to all the conversations, but I have teacher ears. So they never go away. <laughs> and I'm hearing these things. And one said, well – What's a pentagon? And, and and well, that's that's the most famous building in the world, and 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 it has five sides. That's why everybody knows it. And in my head, I'm going. It's not the most famous building in the world. That that sort of betrays a kind of bias in my head. going. I want to go out there and teach them. I want to go out and work, but I didn't. And then and and, and the companion said to them, uh, among them said, well, well, what's a pentagram? And the other guy said, it's just a random shape that's used with witches. And in my head, I'm going, penta, 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 gone, penta. You said it had five sides, pentagram. It is not a random. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm laughing because I didn't go out because I thought they're doing their work. They don't need this stodgy older guy coming out and, and doing this. But that, too, was a, a misnaming.
0: Yeah. And, again, taking – you hey, know, symbolism is super cool, and, I, and I'm pretty sure we did an episode on it. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, again, taking something, right, right a symbol – And even doing something as subtle as just taking that shape and then shifting it one way can add a completely different meaning to it. So this is kind of a good segue into our speculative section, Hmm. which um, the first question I have is, can we conceive of things without naming? So do you think with symbolism, right? Can you think you can conceive of something with just symbolism or do you think there has to be a naming process involved in order for humans to conceptualize... You've already things. named something by using the word symbol. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so I, I think not. And, uh, we may have intuitional, uh, uncoalesced uh, impressions. Um, I've been reading Keats, John Keats again, this past week, just, just because. because... <laughs> stack of books. I read across the books. Just, there's, there's no order to it. I just take the impressions that come. And, and Keats has this marvelous uh, ode to psyche. And in, and, and in that, there's a, a, a couple of stanzas which are, it, it took me back to how I appreciated Keats at the beginning uh, about an impression of far in the distance on the horizon, um, God's working things. But it was so distant you couldn't really tell but you knew something was there but the very fact talking about gods and powers
0: those are names they're not proper names but they're names so I don't think so yeah it's it's hard you have to kind of do a thought experiment that's really impossible to do because of our um contextual existence but if you could if you could be an adult and open your eyes for the first time and see the world, right? Never having had a childhood or anything else going on, right? And you just open your eyes and you see things. Mm-hmm. How would how would your cognition work? The exclamatory. Right? Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <right. laughs> it's
1: a, you're bombarded.
0: Yeah. I can only imagine, but you, you're just. It makes you wonder. Could you – I mean, would you be able to separate sky from land or foreground from background or any of this? Would you be able to even do any of this? I think you would. I think you would because of
1: of the demonstrative. If if you're assuming that you had language, I don't know if that's built into this this thought experiment. I think we're
0: assuming no. No language. I think think that's the point of it is to try to figure out if we could um, conceive of things without naming. If our eyes
1: are functioning, then we're going to differentiate. Sky is different
0: than horizon. Yeah, so then the question becomes we don't have the words for it but it's right so can we differentiate without naming right if you open your eyes for the first time you see the sky you see the land do you think you have to give those things a name in order to conceive of them or do you think that somebody with no language could just open their eyes and and know what's happening without without having words or names for it <laughs>
1: Oh, you're sending me on all kinds of trips here. So so I have to revise what I said to you in our in the earlier part of our discussion. I won't revise this. I still think it's wow. That <laughs> can I mean all kinds of things. Uh but but after the wow, and I'm thinking because I've been so blessedly um just so lucky and gifted to be able to be part of my granddaughter's life from the beginning. And 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 uh, almost every day. And so I've, I'm thinking right now about the way I experienced her language developing. Now, I saw it in my own children, but that was back a ways, And I'm seeing it sort of in a, in a different context. And I remember the moment. Uh, this was back during the first uh, uh, part of the pandemic. When uh, we just were after weeks being able to to see her, and I had my Marvel cap on, and I had pins of all kinds on it, and and I it was on, and, and and the little one took it, and and she and said this, and and then she and she said this, Grandpa you know. Oh, oh, okay. Well, she knew who I was, so she associated a noun. But, but the demonstrative this, she wanted to know what this was, and I said pin, 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 pim, pin, and she tried it until she got it, and then she put the cap on. <laughs> and, but I, but I think the demonstrative this, that, these, those, uh, before we have nouns, are probably the first useful words. Because this
0: implies, what is this? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think you're right. I think there almost has to be a, a chunking or a, a carving out that. Of, of what, yeah. yeah. So you see the sky and you go, okay, well, there's that. And then after that, there probably is adjectives, uh, objective, uh, right? Like trying to differentiate that. Okay, well, you have sky and ground. So there's this and that. That is Hard, right? You know, pounds. You, pound, you would yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So and then you sort of fill out these descriptions, and then as you fill out those descriptions, you come up with a name, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not too different from from being a person, right? You can have a, a person, okay. Person is sort of like this or that, but then if you say husband, mm, painter, mm, man, mm-hmm. manager. Mm-hmm. You know, guitar player, you start filling in these things, you start to come up with a, an idea of who this person is, right? Mm-hmm. And then you give that person a name. And so that person, you know, and so that, yeah, that's kind of interesting is just that thought experiment of going back and thinking, well, how did this all, how yeah. this all come about? So a sort of similar question is, um, does naming imbue an object with certain qualities or does it only work in reverse? Uh, which brings up the secondary question,
1: which was asked the same – the uh, uh, ancillary question. It's, is it intended to? Uh, does naming involve meaning is what you're saying?
0: Yeah. Well,
1: uh, let's go to teleology. We've talked about that before where, where we see an object. Ah, X. Well, what's the purpose of an X? And so we name something for its purpose. We associate purpose with the X. We associate the meaning with it. So it could be a random name. It could be a, uh, I don't know, a blah. Blah, it's cut. <laughs> blah, it's chop. Uh, give me the blah. <laughs> it's not it's simplistic as that, but it's sort of, that's where the semiology, uh, semiotics comes into it. We associate a sign or a word with a meaning. Somebody associates it with that meaning. And in practice, it becomes established uh, a, a principle. That, does that start? With, what do you think? Huh, with yeah. Your I,
0: it's sort of difficult, and I, I almost wonder if it Joel, why did they name you Joel? Yeah. None, you know, none, I think that's where it gets... Interesting with it is we talk about it a lot, right? My wife, her name's Amanda, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look at a graph of people named Amanda, they fit within like 20 years of each other, right? Everybody named Amanda was born between this time frame. But it was such a popular name that if we're out eating somewhere and somebody starts saying the name Amanda, she doesn't even turn her head. Mm -hmm. Whereas the name Joel has existed for a long time, but not many people have been named that. So, if we're out eating and I hear somebody say, Joel, my head whips around. Like, are they talking around. to me? Are they
1: talking about me? Okay. Um, uh, uh, but uh, that's not – but you see, it, it whips around because are they talking about me? So, Joel means me. Uh, all right. And so – but but you know that there are other Joels. Right. And so, and and if Amanda happens to be a more generic in the sense of broader usage across a chunk of time, uh, that generic, not in any negative sense, just uh, still, you know, there are Joel's and and almost all of our names have a generic quality to them. Uh, My formal name is Norman. I go by Norm because I, I didn't. Really enjoy my 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 name. It was given by my grandmother, asserting over my parents. <laughs> it wasn't really their first choice. Okay, um, and and that's okay. But but the associations that it has is I got to be a language person and an English major and all that. Uh, I didn't want those associations. Norman, the Norman Conquerors. I what my grandmother was uh, briefly a, a one-room schoolhouse teacher. I don't want to be associated with people who come in and do carnage. I certainly don't want to be associated with all the the negative elements of that thing. But it's my given name. So I have modified that by shortening to to Norm for my sobriquet.
0: (laughs) Right, And so that's where it gets interesting, right? So if you have a name like Joel that's always been rare but it's been around for a long time, it's harder to say that there's a meaning behind the name. Because it's infrequent and uh-huh. it's over time. But with Amanda, right, you have a very high popularity in a very short span of time. Those people are going to share a lot more characteristics in common than a Joel would. But it is right? an old name. And it, it's a name that you have experienced across
1: a range of 20 years. But it's an ancient Latin name. Amanda has been – And you have you looked up the meaning of Amanda? No, oh. no. Okay. Okay. Worthy of love. Uh, first recorded in 1212 in Warwickshire, England. Amanda is a man does the Latin name meaning lovable and worthy of love. Comes from, and there's a masculine version, a man does, And that goes back to the ancient. Okay. Joel. And you probably know the meaning. And I'm not just looking up random sites on this, there's, there's good etymological name sites. Joel is is taken from the Hebrew. It means the Lord is God. I have to just be funny for a moment. Who else would the Lord be? So, <laughs> okay. So, but yes, but but in current usage, yours is much like mine. I have met very few Normans. I worked with one briefly at the college that I taught at. I never have had a student with that first name across. Thirty when you know it ended at thirty nine years formally so it's it's like you it's you it, I don't encounter it, and so more often I take it to be about me when I hear somebody talking. But there have been famous Normans, Norman Vincent Peale. I don't want to be him, but it's you know and 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 so uh, yeah. the meaning that accrues and the meaning that we that we that we cultivate or curate i I think
0: our involvement on in our own names is a really interesting yeah that's thing. and that's what I was trying to get to with the question, right is does naming something you know project onto something certain qualities, or does only having certain qualities make something? give something that name. I think the first when families choose names. Yeah. Sometimes. And, and there's some psychology to back that up, right? If, if people get named certain things or if there's certain birth orders and things, it can really, it can affect how somebody develops, right? It certainly can. And so, with the name Amanda, right? We'll take that as an example. So, the name skyrocketed in popularity for 20 years then dropped off. So, if that name had never been popular, and then somebody named somebody Amanda how would that person develop versus being named Amanda at the height of Amanda's popularity do you think that giving those two names in those two separate circumstances would affect the person differently i think it well i think it
1: might depending on how much they thought about it and how much other people gave any thought to it around them uh, we named uh, our firstborn, my son Ian. Ian is a, a, a Celtic, well, a, a Britishism, a British-based name um, for for John, and and John uh, was my wife's father's name. Now, we didn't name him John, so he would be my wife's father. We were naming him that in order to and and his middle name is a variation of my father's name, so somehow we became patriarchal on that one uh but it wasn't intended to say you are the because they are two very different men, but that these are men we nonetheless have respected and have affected us and and I think what we're saying is we want you. To know that you are part of that heritage, and 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 they love you, and you are part of who they are. So it's not a set of here are the qualities that we we so we assume you're going to be, and therefore you're going to live up to these two men because we gave you this name. That that wasn't it. It was a very conscious choice after a whole refrigerator list, uh, but it still had meaning. But it was more of an honor, a uh, kind of a lowercase. Uh H honoring, um memorying memorying uh, remembering of of people.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. You know, this a name is not it, it doesn't sound like a name is, is really a passive thing, right? No. There's I don't context think it is. behind it. There's context behind it, but then there's also um context you know, within it. That. It's, it's really kind of and and there amazing. may not be context behind
1: it for people who just randomly choose. I, I have encountered people who just said, "I choose this name." I just gave them that name because. So there's a child with a name just just because. Okay, then that the, the freedom in that is the child can make of whatever wants to with that name. Nonetheless, unless that name has been just wholly fashioned out of whole cloth, <laughs> there are the embedded possibilities and if you find what those are do you say oh I like that I'm going to try to be like that well then you're shaping <laughs> you're working interactively with your name to shape some element of yourself
0: yeah so humans are not the only animals who use names mm-hmm. do you think that there are other animals that conceptualize reality using an inner language or symbolism so dolphins and um, some some parrots will use specific, Sounds to connotate or sound chains or something. Yeah, kind. to connotate specific individuals. Do you think that that, that sort of naming we we talked about the like the, the human blank canvas right, differentiating the this from the that, and then adding qualities to the thises and that. So if these animals are capable of of differentiating individuals with certain sounds. Do you think that their cognitive processes are operating on such a level that they're using some sort of primitive language to identify objects in the environment? Well, I wouldn't call it primitive because we don't know how complicated
1: it really is. And and, and that's sort of an imperialistic term that we still use. Um, But I do think that they are classifying things in their environment if if, if that's – Whatever that series of clicks and or, the, or that sound, seemingly uh, phonemic sound chain is is, if it's become a morpheme, it is a base word, and if it's a base word, it applies to that particular being that this other particular being has has applied. Hmm. Um, is that? <laughs> yeah, a start. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. So, um, and then there's crows. Then there's crows who who don't name same. Uh, 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 by all indications, the smartest birds, ravens, crows that seemingly exist to our knowledge, who will represent who who if if they see a person with a red cap. There's a marvelous special a documentary about this. Purposely goes up, as a researcher do this, and, and disturb a nest. Don't do anything, just scare the birds. Down mm-hmm. through at least, what, three generations of crows, they see a, a, that person. They see that red cap, that person. There's a different sound that they give when that person is around than if that person walks and the red cap's gone. So somehow they've associated a meaning a cluster of meanings, a, 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 an extension
0: to that being. Uh, I, I, it's not the same as a given name. Yeah, and that's that's kind of interesting, right? Because there's plenty of of evidence of crows doing this sort of thing, where people will feed crows, and then over time, the crows will start bringing them presents. Mm-hmm. It's almost it's almost an economic exchange, right? Mm-hmm. Here, I'm mm-hmm. going to bring you something transactional feeding, feeding right? <laughs> so, yeah, corvids have this. Um, ex- Extreme intelligence, but that intelligence is is different from dolphins or parrots, right? Mm-hmm. Dolphins or parrots t- are are actually giving things names, whereas crows obviously possess the ability to differentiate individuals despite not giving them names. As far as we, as far know. as we know, but if you listen to a raven. The
1: croaking sequences that, those, that a raven does, and I can't begin to. I know there are ornithologists who study. I'm, I'm sure there's been extensive work done on this, so I'm not I'm going to try to broach that, except to, to say that I can't, as a layperson, listen to a raven and not think something's going On because there even for untrained ears there's a sequence of (laughs)
0: yeah mean something yeah (laughs) yeah so animals the animal part of it's interesting Uh, the last question I have is um, kind of relates back to some of what we were talking about before does branding rely on the aggregated thoughts and feelings of a segment of people towards a name.
1: Yes, it is a curated, an attempt at curation <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to leave my biases <laughs> out of it. Uh, I cannot help I can I cannot, as a as a scholar, as a as a human being, dissociate the word brand from what it has been used for historically over time on human beings and on animals. So, the negative thought of being imprinted by this stamp that says "You are mine," or this stamp that says "I want that stamp too um I just I can't escape that joel and I, and I, but while I'm a reasonably intelligent adult, I can understand what branding is about so if I try to put that negative aside a little bit uh I think it's a curation uh. I think is it is an attempt to create, and I think honestly done. I mean, you're you're working on it with your marketing, and I know it's being done honestly. What is it that makes my art, my work, uh, discernibly different from somebody else's? That's what you're seeking, and then you want to put a symbol with it semiotically, to people see the symbol and think your work. I, I, that that uh, that's not a negative connotation to me, um, but it's still a curated. Uh, attempt to authentically boil down whatever it is about the essence of your to the essence of your work uh, that differentiates it
0: mm. yeah so and I mean that's sort of fascinating right because that is it's like what we were ta- just talking about with, with personal names where okay well they have there's a history to them and there's a context with them and what sort of meaning are people giving it to it. It's I think it's the same thing with branding. And it's it's a big thing now to, you know, companies are trying to find that the one word, right, that encapsulates all of that. Mm-hmm. All what their product is, what quality it is, what it all what it does, all of these different things mm-hmm. and trying to put it into one thing. <sighs>
1: I'm, I'm, uh, I know that I've pushed this way over time, and you're going to divide this into two. And so if I'm going too long, you'll have to tell me. But I, I just got done reading an article um, yesterday, two days ago about uh, the renaming of community colleges um, across the land, but particularly in the South, removing consciously the names of uh, people who had enslaved other people. Uh, and t- taking those off the colleges and re- rebranding them was geographical locations. So instead of John Tyler Community College, um, Headwaters Community College or Mountain View Community College or something like that. And, and I think that is a conscious curation that makes a lot of sense that says, let us get past what we were, let us try to do something to reconceive what we think of as important. So I'm not. I, 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 there's no negativity in that. I think there's to me. But as I read the article, uh, college after college said, "Well, what we offer is different than than every other college." And then my my hackles are going up because I've experienced this. And and what we offer is the the unique possibility of each student finding out who they are. I started laughing it's, that is not unique. Every college claims this. They have slightly different phrases for it. I remember when the college that I worked for <laughs> spent something on the order of $60,000 to rebrand. They were looking for a phrase. They were looking for a symbol that wasn't a Sunni symbol by itself. And they finally came up with something that looked very much like a local bank's symbol, except it was reversed. And it was kind of a waterfall with a slash through it, and and there, and we had a whole set of meetings about this, saying, "Well, every symbol must tell a story." And so that was brought up, and and I said, "And what's this story telling? <laughs> oh, we're near a waterfall? No, we're not. We're going to cascade over the edge." <laughs> <laughs> no, we're generating energy. I don't know, and 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 the phrase that went along with it was exceeding expectations. And as a person working for the institution, I'm saying, oh, so we have low expectations. We want everybody to exceed them. Do you want to exceed your own expectations? Well, what is it you expect of yourself? Are we asking people to do this? What does that have to do with a waterfall? And and and. And, and so I, I think the branding can go really bad uh in the sense of not achieving whatever purpose was meant to be achieved. And I think that branding is false when it attempts to say that we have we're doing this thing that nobody else is doing, because that's just that's capitalistic baloney. It's you you've got if you're gonna find something that's specific, it's not that we want everybody to do better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and and that it is funny. I I I love and hate the marketing thing all at the same time, the branding and, and whatnot. But I remember I took a class when I during my master's degree, um, where you had to develop um, basically from scratch uh, a school on paper, right? Mm-hmm. So you had to start out with a vision statement, which is like one sentence summarizes what the mission of the school was. Then you had you know, after the vision statement, you had a mission statement, which is sort of a paragraph doing these things. And I love doing that because it was really just fleshing out this whole thing. And you had to start at the beginning and you did have to boil everything down to one sentence, right? And then you got to build off of that. And I think doing it that way is very philosophically um, relevant and and important. Mm -hmm. But I think that, a lot of places don't go through that whole process. It does seem like you were saying just sort of an unrelated jumble of, of things that were put together. And I think that that's something that goes back to, um, an individual vision versus a group vision, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I've, I've done this with music, right? I, I do my own music where I do, everything. So the whole thing is my vision from the beginning to the end. I've also been in bands where there's several different people and it's everybody's vision going into it. And it's not to say one's better than the other, but what it is to say is the cohesiveness and the and the teamwork behind it is what's going to make or break a group vision, right? If a if a person does something um, it's really up to their talents and skills and and follow through and those sorts of things to determine whether or not it's successful. When a group does it, how people work together determines how how it works out, mm-hmm. you know. And um, yeah, sometimes those marketing strategies can end up really well if there's a, a cohesive vision and and things are followed through in a proper way. Sometimes it's just a sort of random jumble of you know.
1: Yes, and and
0: I think it can be taken to such an extent,
1: and and has been in our culture. And and another topic, really, but it's it's it extends to it, uh, where we each are expected to be our own brand. I, I I've had people ask me, even after my formal work has been done, well, what what is your brand, or what was your brand? What do you mean, what my brand was? I'm a teacher a teacher is somebody who's committed to helping people learn things and and to learn things from them as you do it and therefore to grow together within a field but more broadly within a a cultural um,
0: history that that needs to be examined yeah, and but you know, that's how a brand.
1: Right, right. Well, and that's the thing is,
0: this is coming back to what we said at the beginning of the discussion, which is a good place to tie it up, right? When we we're saying, are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. If you decide to take on a title, it essentially limits and narrows who you are. And that's exactly what branding does, right? Is saying, this is my brand. Here are the set of characteristics that define me limits your ability to grow and change and adapt over time. Right? Yes, especially if you associate... If I I say, I'm a teacher, and I expect that to
1: just... Everybody to know what that means, and I just dwell on their own associations with that word, we haven't really had a communication.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man, this episode was fascinating because, and we talked about a ton of things that we've talked about in the past and a ton of things we can talk about in the future, but Yeah, the way naming interacts with language and symbolism and branding and, you know, religious context and political context and everything else. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm sure we're going to come back to it in the future. So until next time, keep pondering.